Hey everyone, I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Feminist Wednesday's Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. My co-host Erin Bagwell is on maternity leave and will be returning to the Beaver Dam in the spring. For now, we're wishing all the best to the new mom and her little one. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television, the glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Talk. Hello. Hi. We're like two little like weirdos over here, like laughing at each other quietly during the intro. I mean, your intro is glorious. I don't know who that is singing, but it's I love Aaron. it. Stop. Yeah. That makes it even better. We're 100% homemade here. This oh, is Beaver Talk. I love it. Oh my it's God. so joyous. It's just so, you know, we really like to set the tone for all of the insanity about to come. <laughs> Um, hi, Nora. Hi, Diana. Welcome to Beaver Talk. Thank you so much for having me. Bettys, let me introduce you to my dear friend, Nora Resnick. She began her career as an actress appearing in New York theater and TV, later transitioning to film, television, and commercial production. She's worked on projects including Margot at the Wedding, Friday Night Lights. You also appear in several episodes, which <laughs> is a joy every time it comes up. The Leftovers, Prime Suspect, and National Commercial Campaigns. She's produced narrative, narrative, documentary, and live branded content and events for clients including Jose Cuervo, Afropunk, Tiffany & Co., and Boost Mobile. Most recently, she had a pivotal role, a huge role, a <laughs> massive role, in putting together 1,800 seconds curated by Pusha T, a hip-hop album, and accompanying short film. Phenomenal. Welcome to Beaver Talk. Thank you so much. I think I've said that like three times now. But I'm really just happy to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for asking me here. Um, yeah, it's funny course. to hear my bio read at me. I know. Well, it's it's like so impressive. It's such an impressive bio. And I feel like I didn't know so much about this, right? Because like we don't really ask our friends for bios typically. Typically. I like to pre-interview my friends. <laughs> yeah. But for example, did not know you've worked with like Nicole Kidman, Justin Theroux, all of these people. It happens. It's it's a it's a you know when you work in production you end up it's a small world. Yeah, the film industry is a small world, so you end up working with a lot of really amazing, talented, cool people. Well, and yet I never ran into Justin Theroux, but it happens. I mean, I'm sure it happens for somebody. I think it bears mentioning that I met you working on the Afropunk job. Yeah. So I think that's an important shout out. That that's like one of my favorite moments ever. I remember we were in a meeting and. You just looked at me and you were like, what are you doing the weekend of August 23rd? And I was like, uh, working for you. And you were like, done. Yep. And from there, we just ordered a lot of sushi, a lot of like takeout and put together some stuff. I was going to say my my main memory of working with you is I hadn't eaten all day. And I was like, I need to eat this burrito and also have this meeting with you. <laughs> so we're going to have this meeting while I shove a burrito in my mouth as quickly as possible. And you were so polite about it. <laughs> It was so good. It was so funny because I was like, uh huh. I was uh -huh. like, I have no etiquette whatsoever. I mean, it's, I kind of appreciate that because all etiquette would have gone out the window inevitably. So it's like, let's not even start with it. Right. We went there quickly. Yeah. We really took it to a level. And then ever since, like, we've just been, you're like one of my favorite people I've met in this city. And thank yeah, you. The world just brought us together. Ditto. Oh my gosh. Um, we're talking today about like one of my favorite TV series of all time, Schitt's Creek. It's, it's brilliant. It's a delight. 
Um, it's Canadian. Like there's just so many levels to it that is perfect. I'd love to start out though, Nora, of kind of like asking you, you know, you've worked in production, you've been a part of a ton of stuff, you have acted, you produced, you directed. I'd love to know, like, what did you watch as a kid? What kind of, like, were you interested in media? Did that start from a very young age? Kind of what what did childhood for Nora look like from a media landscape? Yeah, well, I have friends, or sorry, I have family in the industry. So I grew up going to film and television sets at a pretty young age. My aunt is a producer. What? So, yeah, my aunt's a producer. She, she, um... She's, she was, I guess, when I was younger, more production managing, and now she's a producer. So she used to take me to set with her at a super young age, and I would, you know, wake up at four in the morning to have an early call and just hang out with her all day, and I loved it. Or I'd go to the office, and this is before photocopiers could collate for you, and I would, like, collate scripts so they're all organized, and I was like, I will get up at four in the morning if it's, like, to go to this glorious land where there's, like, creative people and this like weird family energy and I loved it. So yeah, so I, I grew up kind of peeing over the summer when I was old enough to do that and just kind of hanging out in that world. So that was kind of my first introduction to media. Um, that and theater. My mom used to take me to Broadway shows constantly. I think I saw Phantom of the Opera was my first Broadway show at age like three, like whatever the oh my God. youngest you can get in, I was there. And I was sort of enthralled by just the idea of creating worlds and reflecting life back at people. And that was sort of my introduction to entertainment and media. Yeah. And I grew up, I was obsessed with musicals. I was obsessed with old movies. Both Hepburns were like pictures of them plastered over my room, just like Glorious. Amazing. Yeah, I had that Audrey Hepburn from that everybody had from Ikea where it's like the silhouette of her from breakfast to Tiffany's. Amazing. Iconic. I was like, I'm so fa- I'm so fabulous in Calgary. Um, how old were you when you were like going to set with your aunt and like waking up at four in the morning to do scripts? Oh, young, young, young. I mean, eight maybe? Wow. Something like that. Like, And I don't know. I mean, I... I Went to school, so I don't, maybe I was doing this over the summers or if there's like a school holiday, I don't exactly know, but I would hang out fairly often. Um, And yeah, it was just like this, it was this incredible world where people on film sets, you get really close because you're working really crazy hours and you're sort of in this unique situation. And so I was just like introduced to like these little small families that get created job to job. And I totally loved it. Amazing. So then you kind of latched on to that when you were like, you know, young and then a teenager. What made you decide to like pursue it as like, I know you went started like acting and then it kind of moved from there. But yeah, so I started acting um, from a really young age. I was doing children's theater. And then when I was nine, I got cast in an off off Broadway play. Um, and I had to like have a vocal coach cause I had to learn an accent for it. And I don't know. I just, I just really loved it. I've never, my mom was never a stage mom. She had her own career. So she was like, if you want to do this, that's cool. You can do it. But like, I'm not gonna, she wasn't like taking me to every audition and like pushing me to like send out my headshot. She was like, you can do it. I will support you. 
it's on you to it, like make this happen. Yeah. This. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just loved it. And I, um, I ended up the high school I graduated from called professional children's school sort of caters to children who are pursuing a professional career. So there's a lot of dancers at School of American Ballet, which feeds into New York City Ballet. There's a lot of, you know, Scarlett Johansson was a couple of years ahead of us. There's a lot of people who are really pursuing a career. So I went there for my last two years of high school. Uh, phenomenal school with, made some of my closest friends to this day there. And then I went to Emerson College to study theater. And I, I just sort of, it just, I don't know. I just kept pursuing it. And somewhere kind of as a, you know, 17, 18, I realized that I, in addition to acting, I wanted to produce. Um, actors often on set have the least amount of knowledge and control. Sort of things get filtered to them last. And I am, um, I like to be in You're charge. Like, That's not going to work for yeah. me. I was like, this is not, I'm not cool with that. Yeah. Um, You're like, where are all the bodies buried? What are we doing at every moment of the day? What's happening? Correct. All the things. I like, I'm a, I like to, right. I like to be in the know. I like to tell people what to do. Uh, I'm sort of unapologetic about that sometimes. Dare I say you're very good at it. <laughs> well, I think it depends on who you ask, but um and so, yeah, so I, I kind of wanted to work production also. That sort of mm. was very early on a goal. And as I started to work production more and more, the acting kind of started to fade away. Um, I was an okay actress. I was never a great actress. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and, and acting is really a muscle that you have to keep up. And as I went more and more into re- production, it just sort of faded into the distance. Um, and production sort of became the thing. Amazing. You're one of my favorite people to like dissect popular culture with because we skip over like <laughs> the very like, like what was she wearing? What was this movie about? Right. We just get into like what is happening here and what are they trying to do? Right. I mean, the Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga performance at the Oscars comes Which to mind. I still can't even. I, I mean, can't we, even. We can't breathe. It's fine. It's um, perfection. <laughs> we really got in a conference room and we were just like watching it like, what does this mean? Was that scripted? Was that choreographed? I mean, it's my favorite. You just yeah. know the world so well, and it's like well, I appreciate it so deeply. Thank you. And I like to dissect that stuff. Yeah. I like to, right. Like I'm not really that interested in what somebody was wearing unless it applies to like a deeper meaning. I'm not, it, and that kind of is true across my life. Like I'm not good at small talk. I'm mm-hmm. very bad at small talk. Another reason we're friends. Right. And so like I, I like to like get into the motivation and the dissecting of things that just it. Yeah. Well, you're so I think. Yeah. I mean, for people who like really love production of whether it's film, TV, you know, theater, whatever, I think like people don't realize that everything you're seeing in front of the camera or on stage or whatever is motivated and it's there for a reason and people look the way they do for a reason and people say the things they do for a reason and it's all intentional and I think yeah having an appreciation of that and a knowledge of that is like it enriches the experience of viewing yeah and I think the intention too is like that's what makes good film or theater it's it's when the projects that you don't have a clear intention are the ones that 
end up being mediocre. Mm -hmm. And you feel it. And it's like, I don't really know why that was happening. And I don't really, you know, there's wasted frames, there's wasted scenes, there's wasted. Absolutely. And even if you can't name that that's the reason, it bleeds over. Cutthroat, which is why I'm excited for today's episode. I it's such a good segue into what I think is one of the most like intentional, grounded, I mean, just meaningful shows that's out there right now for being a comedy. It is Schitt's Creek is just taking it to a whole other level. I completely agree. Wholeheartedly. Oh I think like I think it's a show that could so easily be a throwaway show. It could so easily just be like the dumb thing you put on in the background while you're cooking dinner every once in a while. And it is not that to me anyway. No, yeah. It is layered and deep and complex and full of heart. And I love it. Oh, my God. Okay, let's get into it. For those people who don't know, so Schitt's Creek is um, created by Dan Levy and Eugene Levy for some extent. Um, And it also stars Catherine O'Hara, Annie Murphy, and Emily Hampshire. It's about an uber wealthy family um, who loses everything and is forced to go live in like this small town in the middle of nowhere that they bought in the 90s. As a joke? (laughs) As a joke. Um, And the town is called Schitt's Creek and they have to go live in this grungy motel and like figure it out. And it's a simple premise. Like that's it. And it's now on season five and it continues to just be a joy at every turn. And so I'd love to kind of start by asking you, what are some of your favorite moments or favorite like aspects about this show? And like, where do you kind of want to dive in first? Yeah. Oh, God, there's so many things that are just so captivating about the show. I think one thing that really stands out to me is the family unit that they created. Obviously, Eugene and Dan are related in real life. And Catherine O'Hara has been around them for a million years. But Annie Murphy auditioned for the role. And she has mannerisms and affectations that feel like she's truly a part of that family in a way that my siblings and I will phrase things similarly or give a same look. They do that. And I think that's, it's such a subtle thing. And I think it's brilliant. So like, just from like the, the trueness that they created Mm -hmm. is outstanding to me. Um, I love that. I love the relationship uh, with Patrick and um, David. I think it's phenomenal. And I think I was reading Dan Levy said like one thing he wanted to do is like there's no homophobia in the world of Schitt's Creek. And that was really important to him. Yeah. And he can I read a quote, please? I pulled a quote because I'm (laughs) over prepared. In an interview, I think it was with GQ. Um, He said, we'll let every straight character live their lives, he says, summarizing thinking of many TV executives. But the gay characters are here to teach us a lesson. The characters were were being painted with a different brush, ultimately. And that, to me, was really boring. And I love that idea that, like, he's not there. And there's very much a place for the movies and the TV shows that, like, are teaching a lesson and showing a struggle. I think there's very much a place for that. But that's not this. This is just, like... These aren't, this isn't a gay character. This is a person who's living his life and is in a relationship and is gay. And like, that's phenomenal. And I don't think I see that a lot on TV. A hundred percent. I think one of the things I love about it, and this is something we've talked about on Beaver Talk before, is like, 
when you have someone who's gay, it's like they only get to be that. And they're only asked about that in right. an interview. They're only portrayed as that. It's like, it's just, and there are definitely merits to the having those conversations and having that be a part of the dialogue. But what I love about Schitt's Creek is it's the definition of equality when everybody just gets to be who they are. And, and they're not defined by the one aspect that so many people want to glom onto. It's, yeah. They're just people and they're lunatics, lunatics, <laughs> right? They're, they're complex and crazy and they're not defined by one aspect. Yeah. They're defined by their like nuttiness. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's so important. And, and even when Dan and uh, Stevie in the first few seasons are kind of like flirting with each other and there's kind of this question around like, is is uh, David by? Is Stevie by? Like, what are we doing here? They never really address it. And it just kind of gets to exist. And I know a lot of people were kind of going back and forth about like whether that was a cop out or whether that was kind of, you know, poorly written. But I loved it because it just it was just a part of their lives. Totally. And he was, you know, at that time in the show, David is like trying to find something to hold on to in the tsunami that has become his life. And he finds Stevie and he he finds this friend who he's never had before because he was awful before. Um, and so it, it's it's beauty. It's beauty is in the fact that it's not defined and they just get to be close friends together. I totally agree. And I love their friendship. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's so like heartfelt and they like they understand each other's flaws so well and just like kind of leave space for it and we'll call each other on their shit and it's great. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, I think the women of this show, and you've already touched on it a little bit, the women of this show are really the standout to me. I 100%. Mean, Dan Levy as the showrunner, writer, star is obviously the anchor and Eugene Levy is coming in as that kind of from the other perspective of just being an industry heavy hitter. But Catherine O'Hara and Annie Murphy to me are phenomenal. It phenomenal. I mean, for like Annie Murphy, I really can't like praise enough. Yeah. And I think she took a character that could so easily be one dimensional and one note and she made her a complex, real human. And she's not she could play her as a mean girl. She's not playing her as a mean girl, which I love because it it's so easy to see somebody in that position, somebody who has like all this wealth and power and kind of like is out of touch with reality and just chalk it up to like, oh, she's a bitch. Mm -hmm. And Annie Murphy doesn't let you do that. Mm -hmm. She doesn't let you do that. She's like, well, no, she's not. She's she's maybe had like some poor life lessons and maybe wasn't taught certain things that regular people were taught. But like at the end of the day, she has a heart and ah, uh, ah. Uh. I know. Phenomenal. Yeah, I think so. She plays Alexis, who's like <laughs> Dan's younger sister. David, Dan slash David. He plays David Rose. It's going to be confusing. Very confusing. Um, she is David's younger sister, and she's kind of this like Instagram influencer she's idea. A, yeah, she's a socialite. She's a, she's a socialite, Kardashian. but she's like very young and very like she's gorgeous. She wears all these incredible clothes and makeup and jewelry and hair. I love that her hair is done every day. <laughs> every day, perfectly, with like jewels in it sometimes. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, and she is so shallow. She has these moments where it's just, you know, everything's going flying over her head and she's just kind of rolling with the punches. But then I think she has these moments that are so grounded and beautiful where she doesn't want anyone to feel left out. 
And she doesn't want anyone to feel um, unworthy. Absolutely. And, you know, she's grown up with her mom, played by Catherine O'Hara, Moira, who was completely absent for her entire life, and her dad, who very much the same. Um, And Alexis is kind of, you see her development through the seasons where she goes from being very resentful and very um, kind of, harsh to her family and to David included of just like, you know, we've never had a relationship, so let's not start now to now getting into a place where she's really, I think more so than anyone else in her family is so accepting of the people in her life. Absolutely. And I think it's really evident. I forget if it's season three or four where some people like old quote unquote friends from her past life kind of come into town and it's like a great moment to see her character's growth because all of a sudden she's looking at some of the things they're doing and saying from the eyes that like the audience had when we first were introduced to the Rose family and she's seeing some of the shallowness and the lack of connection and she kind of takes a step back and is like, oh, like this is, this is not who I am anymore. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And you see her trying to make friends. You know, she, I think what I like about Alexis is she's trying to make the best of everything. More so than David, who takes a little while to come to it. She's an optimist. She's an optimist. And he's not. Yeah. yeah. And I think she's like trying to make friends with um, the gal at the diner. And she's trying to be friendly to Stevie. And she's kind of comes out of her shell. She, I would say she's the first one to kind of come out of her shell and kind of start to figure out, okay, how do I be here? And how do I be in it with people around me? Absolutely. Um, whereas David has kind of sold himself this narrative that he doesn't need anyone. Mm-hmm. And oh, I love her. I'm obsessed with Alexis. And then Catherine O'Hara, who is just, I mean. We could do an entire episode about Catherine O'Hara as Moira. You could do an entire podcast about <laughs> Catherine O'Hara just in general because she's, I mean, she she's just, she's first of all, like a master of her craft. Yeah. She she's an actress and an improviser and just like and you over the course <laughs> over the course of the seasons, her accent gets more ridiculous <laughs> where she's like enunciating words wrong and like putting weird emphasis. And it's just it's such a subtle thing. And it's so brilliant. And like, you're like, I I don't even know how somebody like thinks thinks to do that. Like, I know. Because it, it, it goes against, like, your human nature of, like, how regular people talk. Yeah. And it's brilliant. Yeah. It's it's so beautiful. One thing I would love to know when Dan Levy comes on Beaver Talk mm-hmm. is what does Moira look like written on paper? And what did Catherine O'Hara bring to it to, like, just make it what, the iconic performance it Very is much so. I would love to know that, too. Because when he was concepting this show with his dad and kind of working on it, it should be mentioned that like Dan Levy completely made Shit's Creek. And he talks a lot about, I mean, I've been watching this guy since he was an MTV VJ on Canadian oh, MTV. Cause you know him from Canada. Oh my God. I assume you all know each other up in Canada. hundred percent, hundred percent, like two degrees of separation at most. Um, he was one of the reasons I wanted to get into TV production. Um, his show, the after show was, I came home every day to watch it. The Hills, especially because his critique of The Hills is iconic and amazing. But Dan Levy, I've been a huge fan of basically since I was like 15. And so when he created this show, it was 
it was, I was like a little skeptical at first because it was on CBC and CBC and network in Canada is like, you're always kind of like, it's like having something on PBS where I was mm. like a little bit like, what are we doing here? Is this going to land? And he said that when he was putting together the family, he wanted Eugene Levy to be a part of it because he wanted to work with his dad, um, which he had been super resistant to for his entire start of his career. Because he's like, that makes sense. People treat you very differently when you are the kid of a star. Um, but he said the only person he wanted for the role of Moira was Catherine O'Hara. That's amazing. And he said, like, he was staying up nights, like, so, uh, you know, just worried. Like, she's not going to say yes. She's not going to want to be a part of it. She's a family friend, but you just never know. And Eugene Levy, like, just went up to her and point blank was like, we want you to play Moira. Like, are you available? And she was like, I would be flat out honored to do this. <laughs> so That's incredible. What is, like, how amazing, what a dream come true. Like, the vision for that and the, like, again, intention that Dan Levy had to bring together this, like, exceptional group of actors for this show and to have them agree. I mean, it speaks volumes to his writing. Absolutely. Um, But (laughs) Moira is, I mean, I fell in love with Moira the minute she did, like, the wine commercial where she's super drunk. I just (laughs) rewatched that episode last night. It's amazing. She's like trying to sell. So she's like a, she used to be a soap actress and then she, um, <laughs> like a million years ago. And then she became kind of like, she flew off into obscurity. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the premise is like she was a soap actress and then sort of became a socialite and was like chairing charity events around the world. Right. right. Um, and so she's always looking for like these acting gigs and I was trying to like kind of get back into it but as like the esteemed actress she once was as a soap star and she does this ad for a winery outside of Shits Creek and she drinks all the wine and is, is absolutely hammered she's gone <laughs> she's gone well and she's she's putting so much pressure on it to be like her yeah. way out yeah. of Shits Creek yeah she's like oh this is going to sort of relaunch like my relevancy yeah. and so she, that coupled with the fact that she's smashed and it's just, it's great. It's the best. Um, and we can't talk about Moira without talking about her clothes and Dan Levy's clothes and everybody in this show and how they are dressed. That was something that I noted too. The costume design is so on point. Moira's all, always wearing these like extravagant outfits and like heels that are way too high for whatever situation she's in. Um, Everybody's character also has like their own unique style. Like they're not all just wearing the 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 four roses aren't all just wearing designer clothes and that's it. They really have like these crafted Alexis always looks like she's at Coachella mm-hmm. and like um David who I keep wanting to call Dan. I know, it's tough. David is always wearing these like 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 semi emo <laughs> but they're like, you know, like sneakers, but they're sneakers. And yeah, I think the costume design really helps. It helps inform the characters. Mm -hmm. It's intentional. Mm -hmm. It's really intentional. Um, And from everything I've read, Dan Levy is like very hands-on with sort of everything that's seen Mm -hmm. on camera. He really has an opinion about it as the showrunner and really like he's intentional with it and it so shines through. Yeah. It's funny because it's always filmed in the summer, some spring or summer months. It's always warm and um, definitely, definitely sunny and beautiful in Schitt's Creek. And Eugene Levy is always wearing three piece suits. <laughs> Impeccable three piece suits. 
And Moira, um, she I didn't note the name down because I'm the worst, but she is she literally Catherine O'Hara based her wardrobe for Schitt's Creek off of a real socialite who dresses like that. That's amazing. Daphne, somebody I want to say. Okay. Um, but when they were putting together, you know, what does Moira wear? What does she speak like? What does she do? It was Catherine O'Hara's build to like have her wear all of these extremely insane constructed pieces. With the wigs. With the wigs. And she has like a wall of wigs in their <laughs> motel room because they live in a motel. And there's a wall of wigs and every scene she's walking in with a new wig. That's that's brilliant because that informs who she like who yeah. that character is yeah. so much. Yeah. Yeah. And Dan is always wearing, as you mentioned, like these black and white emo pieces. And it's so funny. Like he's Dan Levy said, like shopping for David is a pet project of his. Like he'll just go out with the costume designer and pick up whatever the hell he finds that's black and white. That's amazing. Um, but the costume design on this show is exceptional. It really it really is. Should win awards. Going to say it right it should now. should win all of the awards. It's yeah. getting shut out and I'm not sure why. Do we know why? Um, I think not high profile enough. Not high profile enough. Although it'd be interesting because now it's starting to get more in everybody's sort of mainstream. So maybe, maybe this year it's I wouldn't. Coming. I wouldn't bet on it, but maybe it's coming. I also love the um, John and Moira's relationship. Yes, they love each other. They really love each other, and they're sort of like, as you said, absent parents a lot of the time, and they don't really know how to like be necessarily loving to their children all the time although they sort of stumble through it now that they're in this situation but they are a unit and they love and support each other and it's it's amazing yeah they're not just in they weren't just together because of the money and the wealth wealth and fame and power they they truly respect each other and understand each other in a way that nobody else understands them totally again it's like giving it's getting away from stereotypes and getting away from what we would expect a tv show like this to look and feel like and it's bringing that additional level that just because they were ridiculously wealthy and shallow and living an insane life in new york doesn't mean that now that that's all gone they don't have a relationship right i think that that would make for really boring storytelling and maybe last for one season right well it's a good it's it's People aren't one note. Yeah. And even even wealthy people who seem to have it all and are very out of touch and maybe often are offensive, they're still not one note. Yeah. They're dynamic and complicated. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, there are also some extremely feminist things about this show. And one thing I love that it started to do kind of, I would say, like toward the end of season one, beginning of season two and onward is every single person in the family has to do their part to figure out how they're going to live in Schitt's Creek. And Moira, you know, goes up for election in city council. Johnny steps up to take care of the motel. David creates Rose Apothecary, which is his extremely ridiculous lifestyle store. In the middle of this small town who (laughs) doesn't need like $40 face products. (laughs) And Alexis gets the job at the vet's office. Mm-hmm. And I think what I really liked about this is just it got it away from like the women needing to step up or, you know, Johnny gets to go like he does have a moment where he's like trying to find investors and trying to find a way back into New York. But he quickly gets rid of that and realizes, oh, we just have to figure out how we're going to be here. And one thing I really loved is like when David opens his store, it's how he finds his partner and it's how he finds um, meaning in life that he otherwise didn't have. 
and Alexis finds her boyfriend and that gets to be a little off the rails and then comes back on the rails. But I think what I loved about it is, again, nobody is like needing to fit into any like role. Nobody is needing to play any part. Everyone just kind of gets to be a character and move the plot forward. I really loved it. I absolutely agree. And I think like going down a few seasons later, like beyond just the vet's office, Alexis like didn't have self-worth. She was living this extravagant life that like maybe seems enviable perhaps from the outside, but she didn't have any self-worth. And as her character develops, she ends up opening her own business. And she, it, it, it's revealed, spoiler alert, she like didn't ever actually graduate high school. Oh yeah. And like she goes back and she gets her degree and it takes us through a journey of like, she she starts to build confidence through she starts to build build earned confidence. It's no longer just because she's very beautiful and whatever. She starts to build like, oh, I'm worth something because I am smart. I'm not just a pretty face. Yeah. It's brilliant. Oh, I completely forgot about her going back to school. How could I forget this? Um it's so and and what I liked about the school episode is on her graduation day. Moira doesn't want to come. And it's not that she doesn't want to come. It's that she doesn't think to come because mm-hmm. she's been so absent from her Alexis's life in the past. And she kind of says to her, like, do you want me there? I think Moira's like going to do a singing or something for city council right. or a singing There's, lesson or right, something. Right, like a choir thing because yeah. she's part of the like women's chorus. Yeah. yeah. And you see Alexis kind of be a, extremely disappointed but also kind of, well, I wasn't expecting much anyways. And it's actually Ted, her boyfriend, who they aren't dating at the time, but he's the vet whose office she's working in. Um, he ends up coming to her graduation. And I think it's I think it's sweet in the sense of like, they're not just going to step up for you immediately as your parent, absentee parents who haven't been around your whole life. It's it's uh, this show constantly shows like a learnings of everybody. Exactly. It shows people coming to things and it shows you know, Moira and her have a moment where Moira realizes she should have been there and she didn't go. People make mistakes. Yep. And I think that that's also so authentic and real. I totally agree. I totally agree. And that's part of, right. That's, I think the learning is, is what makes the show have so much heart is people, they're, they're continuing to grow and they're going like, they're, it would actually be interesting to chart, but like they're, they're relearning how to like do life from a like, I don't want to say normal, but like from a more um, thoughtful standpoint where like they're almost like I I feel like you could almost chart it where like these what would like typically be life lessons and milestones. They're like revisiting now that they're in this situation. Totally. I think what they're having to do is take other people into account in ways that they haven't had to before. Like I think Alexis is having to take into account maybe having a relationship with her mom and maybe having a relationship with David (laughs) like figuring out how to date Ted and like do all that kind of thing. I love Ted, by I the way. I love Ted. love Ted. Um, and David is having to figure out how to be with his boyfriend, Patrick. And like David's constantly pushing him away with both hands forcefully and <laughs> Patrick just won't go. Yep. And um, I think that's really a joy to watch. And, you know, Johnny is working the hotel with Stevie and has to take her into account and has to realize that he doesn't just get to run the business by himself. Right. They're no longer in a bubble. Right. And then there's Moira, just and Moira, right? Well, what's interesting? What I think will be interesting? I saw 
Um, I watched part of the like Paleyfest um, panel with them. I think it was after season four, so before this new season. And they were talking about how it's starting to be that like the goal for the roses is no longer to get out of Shit's Creek. For the right. first several seasons, the whole goal was how can we get out of here because this is our personal hell. Yeah. And now it's not their personal hell. Now it's becoming their life. And I think it'll be interesting. I'm like halfway through season five. I'm I'm whatever the current point of season five is. Yep. And I it's interesting because I don't totally know where it's gonna go because there's not that challenge of trying to leave anymore. Alexis has started her business. Uh, David has a relationship and a business, and Alexis has a relationship too. But yeah, it'll be interesting to sort of see what's next and what the what the sort of underlying challenge is for them if they're just okay living there now. Yeah, I think that brings us to like a great place of like, what do we hope for the next season and onwards? And I think you're hitting on something where I, with all the love in the world, hope it maybe has one or two more seasons, but I hope it, I hope Schitt's Creek ends on a high note instead of being asked to leave. Because a I think show like will. this, yeah, I think Dan Levy is building it out in such an intentional and arc kind of way that I kind of hope it ends in maybe another year or two because all of these people, I mean, Eugene and Catherine aside, but like Annie Murphy and Dan Levy are not going anywhere. These guys have so much content and so much to offer the industry and we will see their faces for eons to come. Absolutely. And I think Schitt's Creek, um, they, yeah, the whole premise of them having to leave is kind of taking a backseat to now them building out their lives. And I hope, yeah, I hope the next season is kind of a celebration of that. Yeah, and I think, I think you're right. I think, I think Dan has enough understanding and control over the show that I think he will t- he will end it rather than having that forced upon him but it'll be interesting I don't I don't totally know where I was thinking like maybe they'll no I was thinking like maybe they'll have a baby in the situation mm. either Alexis gets pregnant or um David and Patrick have a child maybe to like ground them even more that seems a little far-fetched I don't know I don't know what's gonna happen I love it I almost don't want to make predictions because I just trust them so implicitly that it's going to be fantastic, whatever direction we go. It's going to be so fantastic. I trust them implicitly, and it's going to be way better than whatever, like, shit I come up with right now. (laughs) (laughs) Having said that, we will both gladly work on Schitt's Creek if you want to hire us. A hundred percent. I will PA for Schitt's Creek. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Amazing. Amazing. Do you have any other notes? Any other last things you want to mention? Let me scroll through my scroll. Um, my long list of iPhone notes. I know you really took you really brought in some content here. Um, I think it bears mentioning that the girl from the diner is uh, Eugene Levy's daughter and Dan Levy's sister. Amazing, and she's great too. His uncle, I, th- I believe it's his uncle Fred, is also a producer. I think so. I think that's right. It's really a family affair, I, and I think that's. Phenomenal. Um, oh, one other thing. I yeah. love Jocelyn. Oh, my God. Jocelyn. I love the character of Jocelyn. I think that she is so sweet mm-hmm. and um, like sees the best in the roses. She sort of cuts through their like nonsense. And I love that. And I think it's worth a shout out. Yeah. And she's such a good foil for Moira. Absolutely. Because Moira is really ungrounded and insane. And I think Jocelyn, it, she almost acts as like the audience. Kind of in the same way Stevie does. Very, yeah, I think that I think that's right. I love that. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> the only other thing I would say, but I don't want to go out on a negative note, so we'll have to we'll have to say one other thing is the only thing I think the show could do better is there's not a lot of people of color. We'll agree with that. And I think they could I think they could they could do better. Yeah. I think there's there's Ronnie who's on the city council yeah. and there's the um real estate agent yeah. Ray, I think. I think so. And that's it. Yeah. And I think they could do better. I agree. I think constantly pushing that and constantly figuring out figuring that out is important. Yeah. But Love I it. but I don't want to go out on a negative note, so it's perfect otherwise and amazing. And I love I it. Stand by the fact that I would probably PA for that show. Oh my me. god! Please, please, please! I bet the lineup is insane for that. Um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. How I'm can so- we support you and follow along with your life? Um, well, I have a website that is currently out of date, but hopefully by the time this airs, it'll be not as out of date. Uh, NoraMeetsWorld.com. My Instagram handle is at NoraMeetsWorld, and you can see some of my production work and my photographs, and most importantly, lots of pictures of my dog, Scarlett. Oh, my God, Scarlett. Who's the best? She'll be on a future episode of Beaver Talk. 100%. She has a lot to say. She wasn't available today because she's very busy. important. Yeah, it's fine. Thank you so much, Nora. Thank you, Kent, for being here every Wednesday. And happy Feminist Wednesday, buddies. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!